Dr. Vince Gutierrez here from movementthinker.org. Today's episode will cover the article from Thackeray and Fritz, The Effectiveness of Mechanical Traction Among Subgroups of Patients with Low Back Pain and Leg Pain, a randomized controlled trial. This was published in the Journal of Orthopedic Sports Physical Therapy in 2016. First, the cost of management of low back pain in the United States is estimated at nearly $86 billion annually. All right, so let's put these numbers into perspective. If we can fix this problem, we can decrease more than half of the debt in my home state just by fixing this problem alone. Performed year to year, we can theoretically reduce the debt load of each state within 100 years. I know it sounds like it'll take a long time, but so far there aren't any better ideas. If nothing else, this number is humongous. It accounts for about 3% of all healthcare expenses. Two commonly used interventions for these patients include an extension-oriented treatment approach, also known as the EOTA, and mechanical traction. The EOTA was popularized by the McKenzie Examination and Treatment System. All right, here we go. There's a lot to say about these two sentences. One reason that MDT, also known as the McKenzie Method, is so closely associated to extension-based exercises is because the research articles such as this. You know, when, when we have the articles that say extension is McKenzie, that's, that's not appropriate. All right, this is not the case. Extension is not MDT, it's not the McKenzie method. The McKenzie Examination and Treatment System, AKA MDT, is a systematic assessment used to assess patient symptoms in order to classify the patient and lead to subsequent treatment, of which extension is a part of. There are a lot of patients that respond to extension. I understand that. But extension alone is not the McKenzie method. It is not MDT or mechanical diagnosis and therapy. This has to be cleared up more because of a personal problem with patients being treated by therapists that says, I use the McKenzie method in my treatment, when actually the therapist has no more training than someone who's read my blog. Next, we have to define the EOTA or the extension-oriented treatment approach. This basically means bending backwards in some fashion. This could mean bending backwards against a countertop. This could mean doing cobra poses in yoga. Uh, for this from this point forward, lean backwards as far as you can. The one thing that separates MDT, mechanical diagnosis and therapy, from EOTA is that MDT stresses mid-range to end-range with overpressure if needed. And the extension-oriented treatment approach just says bend backwards. The main point is the McKenzie treatment includes extension, but extension is not the McKenzie method. All right, the next quote. I just want to make sure that we're clear on this, right? The McKenzie method includes an extension-based treatment approach, but doing the extension-based treatment approach is not doing the McKenzie method. All right. Many clinicians also report the use of traction for patients with low back and leg pain. Some people may remember traction from the old school hospital shows. You know, a person is in a body cast and the leg is suspended in the air with a weight pulling on the leg. The main thing to know is that traction is a shortened form of the word distraction, which means to pull apart. For low back pain, this hasn't been used as much in the early 2000s as it was earlier, you know, in the previous century. You know, research performed by the same people that did the study that I'm talking about today found that only a small percentage of people will be a good responder to traction. These people tend to have two characteristics, which will be talked about in a later point. 
experts generally agree that traction is most appropriate for patients with peripheral symptoms. Symptoms, essentially peripheral means symptoms that aren't in the back and they're in the leg or arm of some sort. And signs of neurological compromise for whom centralization of symptoms is a treatment goal. All right, so peripheral symptoms again mean that the symptoms are in the periphery. Think peripheral vision, being around the outside of the eye. Peripheral symptoms are around the outer limbs of the body. Centralization is moving the symptoms from the periphery to a more central location. Hence, centralization. <laughs> Think, move the symptoms from the outer limb and move them towards the spine. As an aside, if you see my picture, you can see that I have a two-year-old. She's actively pulling on my arm at this time as I'm uh, trying to record this, so if I sound a little scatterbrained, I blame her. The next quote, uh, the patients that demonstrate improvement with traction in a previous study demonstrated at least one of the following, peripheralization of symptoms when moving into lumbar extension or a positive cross straight leg raise. Every profession has its own language. When I try to read legal documents, I fall asleep. When someone else tries to read medical documents, it can be overwhelming or intimidating. A cross straight leg raise simply means the following. Crossed, opposite leg of the leg that is having the symptoms, straight leg, well, this one's kind of explanatory, keep your leg straight, and raise, again, self-explanatory, but again, raising the leg while you're on your back. So the cross straight leg raise is taking the leg that doesn't have symptoms, keep it straight, and raise it off the table. So again, people who responded to traction tended to have symptoms that peripheralized, meaning the opposite of centralized. They go from the back into the leg when moving into lumbar extension or a positive cross straight leg raise. The next quote, this was a longitudinal random, randomized trial. Okay, big words. This means that the study was performed over the course of time from a start point and continued until some point in the future. Randomized means that the subjects in the study, think guinea pigs, were randomly placed into one of two groups. This is like when in school the teacher has to create groups. One of the ways is to try to make teams fair is to draw from a hat. Another aside, in PT school there was a partner that I loved to work with because our styles were totally complementing each other. She was very organized and I, mm, not so much. <laughs> Let's just call her Mary Effin Jones. MJ shout out. Okay, so really she carried the team. But I mean, I can hold my own on the workload portion, but she carried the team. Anyway, the teacher decided to pull names out of the hat for a project after three years. Again, me and MJ worked together almost exclusively for three years. And then at the end, um, rumor and innuendo has it that our classmates were tired of us working together as groups. And so they tasked the teacher to randomize the groups by having her pull the names out of the hat for the group for the final project. Needless to say, the teacher pulled out our names as the first group. <laughs> so the point is that we were randomly assigned to be in a group, which we would have picked in the first place. Uh, moving on. So... The inclusion criteria for this study that we're discussing is as follows. Between the age of 18 and 60 years old, presenting with leg pain distal, meaning further down the leg, to the buttock, uh, further, you know, so distal to the buttock means that symptoms are down the leg past the butt. A uh, sign of nerve root compression, 
um, they use the positive straight leg raise or diminished dermatomal, uh, which is a loss of sensation during in certain points of the body. Myotomal loss, which is weakness in a specific portion of the body or reflex issues. And the patient must have reported a moderate disability as indicated by an Oswestry disability score of 20 or greater. This is for the people that really enjoy statistics. Um, and, and the other part of this is anytime that we're using a research study and we're citing a research study and we're trying to implement a research study into our practice, we have to look at the inclusion criteria, right? And so the research study that we're, we're talking about today wouldn't be a good research study to go to if we're treating patients who are over the age of 60 because they weren't included in the study. So it's hard to say that this study applies to that patient which is why there are so many research studies out there because they have to narrow down the inclusion criteria, meaning the study that they're actually, the people that they're actually looking at. And then the studies have to be performed again on other groups of individuals to determine whether or not the results of this study are applicable across a wider range. All right, anyway, I, I go on to describe this inclusion criteria again. So. Here we go. Inclusion criteria means that only people that meet the specific requirements are allowed into the study. You would have to meet all of the above requirements in order to compare yourself with the people in the study. The therapist that you are seeing should attempt to use research that best matches your presentation to that of what was read in the research. For instance, it doesn't make sense to use this article for someone who only has back pain because this article wasn't written for that patient. Again, it was written for somebody who has symptoms down the leg past the butt. Next, myotomes and dermatomes. I do a ton of patient education in the clinic. You know, I got posters all over the place, and I'm pulling these posters down to explain things. One thing to understand is that you're not special. Well, I mean, you might be special, but we're all alike in some aspects. Everyone has a spine, at least everyone that I treat, so as not to offend those uh, spineless people, but getting to that, right? So, talking about spineless people. No, 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 I'm not going to go on to you know, berate against somebody, but, um, I was in Poland a few years ago and was working with this lady, checking her blood pressure. Blood pressure was through the roof, by the way. And, um, she was told that she didn't have a spine and, you know, my Polish is extremely rusty, right? And so I called my wife over, my wife is from Poland and I said, well, what is she saying? And she said the doctor told her she didn't have a spine. Um, that's not true. Okay. Um, I'm hoping there was some miscommunication. But again, you know, even if there was miscommunication, that speaks to how hard it is sometimes to educate patients. Because what we say might not be what's heard. You know, anytime that we're, we're having these interactions with patients, I liken it to a pitcher and a catcher. Pitcher can throw the ball, catcher has to catch the ball. If the catcher's not ready, catcher can get hit in the face, right? Very bad outcome. So, and if the pitcher delivers the ball in a way that the catcher wasn't preparing for the ball, again, it's a disaster. Both people, both patient and um, professional, whoever the professional is, have to work towards some similar knowledge base, meaning common language. Um, I treat patients that are deaf at times, and so we do a lot of writing in the clinic to make sure that there's there's no misunderstanding at all, right? And so 
you, you have to make sure that the message that is being delivered or pitched is the same message that is being received or caught by the patient. Anyway, back down to it. So if you have a nerve problem, oh yeah, so I was getting back to dermatomes. Dermatomes are like a roadmap, right? If you have a sensation issue at some point in the body, we can almost trace that back to an area of the spine. It gives us an idea as to where we're looking at in the spine. It doesn't necessarily say that you have a spine issue, but if this one thing is part of a cluster of other things that we see during our examination, well, it can take us back to that roadmap, takes us all the way back to that area of the spine, right? So if you have a nerve problem at L4, L5, or L5S1, think about the lowest portions of your back. These are the most common areas that tend to be problematic for patients. Then your symptoms would travel down to the big toe or to the outer portion of the, of the border of the foot there, like the little toe area. And the reason why I use these points is because roughly 95% of back problems come from these levels. These nerves can affect the knee jerk reflex or the foot jerk reflex, sure, we'll use the foot jerk, um, the Achilles reflex down there at the foot, or the patellar reflex at the knee. If you've been to a doctor or a therapist, I'm sure that you were told to show up 15 minutes early to fill out paperwork. The Oswestry Disability Index is one of these types of paperwork that you have to fill out. It essentially gives us a starting point, right, from which to judge how your symptoms affect your everyday life. The higher the score, the worse you're doing. Ideally, your therapist should come back at some point in the future Recheck the scores and see if therapy is actually helping you. And if therapy is not helping you, ideally, there's a discussion that takes place to determine what the next steps are going to be. Next quote. A series of active extension-oriented exercises were performed and progressed. Patients were instructed to discontinue any activities and to avoid positions that could cause their symptoms to peripheralize or increase in intensity and were encouraged to stay active. Extension-oriented exercises are those that I described earlier, the cobra pose or backward bending. In addition to prone lying, lying on your belly, and prone on elbows, think of propped up on your elbows like a kid watching TV on your belly. You know, it sounds funny that lying on your belly is considered an exercise, but if as a therapist I can charge for it, ah, must be an exercise, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. Um, but people lose the ability to bend backwards. Um, and when that happens, there's there's something called the extension sign. It's an older school research thing. But um, that extension sign can actually give us an idea as to how a patient's prognosis is going to go over the course of time or like whether or not they're going to respond to therapy. Um, so people that lose the ability to bend backwards may be able to start with the lowest level extension, which is simply lying on your belly. This has progressed until the patient can perform repeated extension and standing, such as bending backwards. Um, sometimes in the clinic, I'll tell a patient to lean their butt against the countertop, put their hands on the counter for support, and just bend backwards. Participants were instructed to not make themselves any worse. Hmm. <laughs> Seems like common sense, right? Um, but if the person doesn't understand peripheralization and centralization, this request may not actually be followed, as sometimes the back pain is more intense compared to the leg symptoms. And if the patient thinks that increased back pain is worse, then they may not actually follow through with what they were instructed to do. All right, next, the traction protocol, oh, this is a quote, the traction protocol was designed with guidance from expert clinicians who use traction frequently and was aimed at a population with lumbar radicular pain consistent with a disc herniation. 
I struggle with this one. All right. So this one leaves me a little puzzled. So what it's saying is we didn't really have a good place to start based on research. So we just called some people that use this treatment to see what they do. This is the whole art of science thing that PT is about. You know, attraction is a traditional based exercise, but it's artsy because there's not much science showing that it works. Because of that, they just called people who use this machine and said, hey, what do you do? <laughs> I'm not a fan of that kind of treatment. Um, anyway, treatments were provided by a licensed physical therapist trained in all study procedures during a 90 minute training session. Obviously, the people doing the study are well-respected, and I have met two of them, actually. You know, it sounds more glamorous than it actually was, more of a handshake, really, but yeah, it's true, I met them. Um, that's my way of saying that these are also considered the gurus of our profession, right? So, you know, I, the, the fact that I'm going to tell you that I took some time out of my life to go meet these people, they, I mean, they have some importance to me. So, anyway. So, they they're trained for 90 minutes. Um... This is the part, again, it frustrates me because, you know, if, if they're trying to use MDT, the mechanical diagnosis and therapy, as a background in this study for the information that they use in the beginning of the study, um, you really can't do that and say that they were trained for 90 minutes. MDT trained therapists undergo over 80 hours of coursework before sitting for a test in order to be considered minimally competent. To say that the researchers learned the procedures in 90 minutes and then compare this to MDT, not a fan, right? It's a travesty for me. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. So moving on. The mean plus or minus standard deviation number of treatment sessions was 10.1 plus or minus 2.7 with no difference between groups. What this means is that the people in the study were seen for anywhere from 7 to 13 visits. Think about that. If you're going to a therapist for more than 13 visits and there has been no effect, I'm gonna say it's probably not helping. It's time to get a second opinion, which I talk about in other podcasts. Four participants assigned to extension-oriented treatment approach switched to traction. Okay, extension is not for everyone. If a treatment isn't working for you or you are getting worse from extension, which are backward type movements, backward bending, you should probably switch treatments or go somewhere else if the healthcare practitioner is not comfortable moving you in a way that doesn't make you worse. There's a couple of sayings that come to mind in this situation. When I was first learning MDT, many experienced therapists told, told me that um, to an MDT practitioner, everything looks like a nail because all you have is a hammer. This couldn't be further from the truth. And the statement only demonstrates the person who was trying to explain that to me, their ignorance. You know, don't get me wrong, I'll forgive ignorance. But not after having informed you of the total wrongness of that statement. Let's also talk about experience for a second. I take many students. I'm a credentialed clinical instructor, right? By the time the student is done with the clinical, I hope for two things. One, that he or she is a better clinician walking out compared to walking in. And two, that the student never becomes a practitioner of 20 years of work with only one year of experience as opposed to 20 years of work and 20 years of experience. That's a quote straight from um, Tony DeLito, another one of the gurus in our profession. Another one of the guys that I look up to, you know, the people that I'll take time out from my life to go find them speak and say hello. Um, moving on, the second that comes to mind is trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. 
There are MDT therapists, actually, that continue to do this. And the only reason I know this is because it is still talked about sometimes at courses. If you have a therapist that is trying to shove you into a hole you don't belong in, find another one. Holes are uncomfortable. Borderline scary. When you feel this with your healthcare provider, you'll know. Essentially, if they're doing stuff that's making you worse, you tell them they're making you worse, and they continue to do things that made you worse. Mm, square peg round hole. Next quote. In other words, matching traction treatment to those patients positive on the subgrouping criteria did not result in greater improvement in pain or disability. I'm going to let this one sit for a second. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there was these researchers that found a specific group of patients responded better to traction than others. One of the researchers that did the initial study was also an author on the current study. I'm impressed when an author can publish a negative study. When I say negative, it means that the treatment didn't work. First, there's typically publication bias against this type of study because it's not as sexy as a study that cures back pain, right? And so it's harder for these studies to even get published because they're not adding to the depth of knowledge that we have. They're actually subtracting some of the knowledge that we thought we knew. So second, the authors state that there's a subgroup of patients that can be helped by traction. And then in the second article, they say, hmm, maybe there isn't a subgroup. That's impressive for somebody who, who for, for somebody like myself, right? And, and I depend on the research. I'm hoping that the authors are working with integrity. And when they figure out something that says that they may have been wrong previously, they walk back their previous studies and say, hmm, that might not be what we thought. Next quote. This is consistent with a Cochrane review by Wegner et al. that identifies low to moderate quality evidence that lumbar traction has little to no impact on disability and pain. And for patients who are unresponsive to other treatments, using traction to determine if centralization can be achieved may be a reasonable approach, particularly when many medical alternatives include more costly interventions such as injection and surgery. All right, so that was a mouthful. Cochrane Review just says that there's a lot of evidence showing that there's moderate evidence that it doesn't help. All right, that's funny. Did you get that? <laughs> so we can state with moderate certainty that you shouldn't have traction done to you. This is still prescribed on many physicians' scripts and performed by many therapists. You can actually see that old traction table back in the corner. You know, it's like old Chinese torture. They strap you in in this big uh, vest-like thing. They strap your pelvis in. And then they attach you to a machine that pulls you apart. Um, I don't know. They, they thought it was a good idea back then. So if your therapist is using this as the go-to treatment, then you as the patient are no longer ignorant. And if you continue to go, um, what is that? Uh, Joe Diffie, Jeff, don't, uh, doesn't matter. Here's your sign, right? So the aspect of this that is more appealing to me, and I appreciate the author, author's honesty in writing this, what is it essentially is saying is that if you are a surgical candidate, meaning surgery is the only option, then the kitchen sink should be thrown at you in order to try to help your symptoms. If the end result is laying you on a table and cutting you open, either removing a piece of your spine or placing rods and screws in your body, then you know what? I'm all for giving traction a shot. You know, so in the end, 
I hope, you know, after listening to this podcast, you're a little bit more educated than you were after reading all of this. Because, you know, I'm not doing this for my own posterity. I'm doing this to try to educate the public. And, you know, traction is one of those interventions that I've used in the past. Um, I don't use it a lot anymore. But for those patients who I can't seem to change anything, I'll use traction. And honestly, for those patients that I've had to use traction for, they get temporary relief. But overall, their symptoms are unchanged. And that's not really what they're coming to physical therapy for, for unchanged symptoms. So some patients have gone and bought a traction unit at home on their own if they wanted that uh, that temporary relief, right? Because temporary relief is better than no relief. I get it. But there's no reason for that patient to continue physical therapy because therapy has shown to be ineffective. And so then we defer back to the surgeons at that point and let the surgeons make their opinions as to what um, trajectory that patient should go on. Not every, th- not every patient is going to respond to therapy and the therapist has to understand when to say no mas, right? That, you know, we're out because for the betterment of the patient, sometimes we can actually do more harm by keeping that patient in our clinic. And um, if nothing else, we do harm financially by keeping that patient in our clinic. So anyway, thanks for listening. Hope you guys learned some stuff. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. The views expressed during this podcast are that of the creator, Dr. Vince Gutierrez, and do not reflect the views of the authors that are cited during the podcast. Again, this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you have a physical limitation or a pain, please seek out a licensed professional. Thank you for listening.